WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD your South Shores radio station, and my name is John Paul, the host of the Car Doctor radio program, and on this Father's Day, and yes, we're live on Father's Day as well, so happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, including you, Jesse. Thanks, sir. Yep. I I know you're, uh, you, you, you know, your kids probably did something special for you for Father's Day, but, you know. I guess we'll wait and see. I mean, I offered you could have one of mine and have Father's <laughs> Day as well, but you said no. I, I'm going to pass. I'm going to pass on this that. This is why I made right extra. Yeah, there you go. Uh, hey, we got a, we got a great show planned for today. A little bit later, we're going to be talking to Ford historian Ted Ryan. It is Ford's hundred and twentieth anniversary or birthday or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so a uh, lot of lot of news from Ford. But right now, we're going to be talking to author Wes Davis. He uh, wrote a book, and the the book is the book is pretty interesting. It's called The American Journey on the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas. Ever- Edison and uh, John Burroughs. Wes, good morning and welcome to the Car Doctor program. Uh, good morning. It's great to be here. Well, you know, it, it's uh, kind of, it seems a little bit, if you didn't know a little bit of history, um, it seems like uh, that relationship between Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, you've heard about that, but um, naturalist John Burroughs seems, uh, seems like one of the names I didn't recognize. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, in the early 20th century, when when those three set out on their trips, Burroughs may not have been as famous as Ford and Edison, but he he wasn't as far behind as he is today. Uh, You know, he had maybe two two dozen books out at that point. Uh, It was very popular. He wrote for all kinds of magazines, so his name was showing up everywhere. And he was especially loved by school children because a number of his essays, which had to do with things like nature and his explorations of the backcountry with people like Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir, had been incorporated in readers that were used in uh, instruction all over the country. So wherever Burroughs went, uh, it was the school kids who knew him and lined up to see him. Well, tell us a little bit, first off, uh, you know, as with any author, you sometimes are writing stories for yourself. Sometimes you're writing stories for an audience. Who did you write this book for? Uh, I guess it it started out as uh, something for myself. I, you know, I spent my earlier life as an academic doing literary history and literary criticism. And as I kind of moved out of that, I, I found that I was still writing about writers, but I became interested in writing about writers sort of getting out into the world, escaping from the library or escaping from the study and, uh, you know, going on adventures that we might not normally associate them with. And so I had been interested in Burroughs for many years, and I was working through his correspondence one day, and I came across a letter from late 1912, December 1912, in which he tells a friend of his that, as he put it, Mr. Ford of automobile fame is an admirer of his books and that Ford has offered to send him a Model T. And when I saw that, I I sort of had to find out you know, what happened because, you know, John Burroughs is associated with uh, conservation and uh, his role as a naturalist, and you would think he he wouldn't want that Model T, first off. 
Um, but then, you know, why did Ford want to do that and what happened next? So I dug into the story and I found that not only did Burroughs accept the Model T, but he came in in many ways to like it and to think that it, it, it improved his life. Uh, and he became a close friend of Henry Ford's, and the two of them set out on this series of road trips that eventually included Thomas Edison and Harvey Firestone. And you, you, when, you know, back in the turn of the last century when the Model T was sort of getting popular, you know, if you asked people at that time what they were really looking for, they'd tell you faster horses. You know, they weren't necessarily <laughs> looking for weren't necessarily looking for a, a motor vehicle. So and I'm sure that was probably a little bit of the same thing uh, with John Burroughs. He probably said, well, you know, what do we need? an automobile for when we have horses that can do sort of the same thing. But like you pointed out, he eventually started to like it. Tell us a little bit about the time frame that the book takes place in. Yeah, so the story really starts um, at, at the end of 1912 with that, that letter I just mentioned. But then I, I sort of back up to look at why Ford was interested in sending this car to Burroughs. And just to briefly sort of explain what happened there, Ford was not a great reader, um, or when he read, he was more interested in reading, you know, mechanics guides than uh, novels or, or history or philosophy or something. But when the Model T started to become a success, his wife, Clara, uh, began to sort of outfit a library in their house in Dearborn. She was a, a very um, a sort of devoted reader, and she spent all of her time at the at the Dearborn Public Library and the Detroit Public Library. So she started to put together this library with the hope um, of sort of informing Henry. She very much believed in, in her husband's genius, but he she knew that he wasn't an educated genius, and she thought that reading the works of geniuses of the past would, would help him, uh, help his own talents to blossom. So... Uh, among the books she bought uh, was a complete set of the works of John Burroughs. And that set really did engage Ford. And I think it's because at this time, um, Ford is approaching his 50th birthday and the Model T is, is becoming a success. You know, it was introduced in 1908. Now it's the best-selling car in the country. And Ford starts to experience this kind of nostalgia because, you know, his life is changing as he's changing our world. And he becomes fixated on his life uh, as a boy on the farm in Dearborn. And one of the things that really drives that nostalgia is his earliest memory, which has to do with this episode in which his father comes and finds him when, when Henry's about four years old, guides him out into the field and shows him where this great oak tree has fallen over and it has Henry bend down and look to see that there's a bird nest built in the crook of this uh, of this oak tree. And as a, an older man, he said that he could not only remember that nest and the eggs that were in it, but he could also remember the, the song of the song sparrow that had built it. And so I think for that reason, John Burroughs, who is known throughout the country as John of Birds, because so much of his writing you know, had to do with, with bird life, uh, becomes a kind of fixture in Ford's imagination. So around the end of 1912, he starts to see Burroughs uh, worrying in articles in places like the Atlantic Monthly that the automobile and other modern technology might 
destroy nature and might destroy our appreciation of nature. Uh, and, uh, you know, it brings noise and pollution into the natural world and it moves us through the countryside too rapidly to really appreciate what's going on. And so I, that's what motivates Ford to try to change his mind by sending him this Model T. And from that point in the book, I follow a whole series of trips uh, in which they're getting to know each other and we're getting to know these people as kind of characters in this story. And all of this culminates with a kind of epic trip in 1918 down into the Great Smoky Mountains. I, I, I'm sort of still stuck on a little bit of the fact that Henry Ford's wife didn't think he was that smart. but <laughs> I, I, I'll say that, you know, she definitely believed in his abilities. And in fact, uh, there's, you know, the name that he had for her was the believer, because no matter what happened in his life, she was the person who believed in him. Um, but she knew he, he had um, weak points. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as as we look into and you mentioned, you know, Thomas Edison and Harvey Firestone. I mean, when you when you look at automotive history and I guess history of the industrial age, uh, you know, are there three bigger people, you know, <laughs> at that time? I mean, it's difficult to think of, of, of any, and, you know, it's it's interesting to sort of imagine whether this could happen today, and I, I don't see it happening today, that you could get um, a group of people who had each had such a large impact in their own fields together and send them out into the woods, you know, to sleep in a tent. I, I don't think it would yeah. happen. Yeah. Well, take us a little bit through maybe one of the trips, and, and New England was a little bit part of it as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, the first trip is up to Concord, Massachusetts, and that comes about because uh, after Burroughs receives the Model T, Ford actually sends a man along to instruct him in, in getting it running and driving it or, or to instruct his son so that the son can then, at a slower rate, teach John Burroughs, who is approaching 80 at this point. Um, Burroughs takes to the car after that, and he starts using it, and then he travels out to Dearborn uh, to meet Ford, and they bond on a walk out through a farm that Ford owns in which he has set up uh, bird feeders and bird nests, and they realize that they're both, you know, they, that they share this interest in, um, in bird life. And so after that, Burroughs wants uh, to give something to Ford. So Ford travels east. Burroughs lived on a farm up on the Hudson River uh, in New York, um, and he grew up on a farm a little farther west in New York. And so he and Ford meet up at that farm in Roxbury, New York, where Burroughs had grown up. And they travel from there up to Concord, Massachusetts. And the way I think of this is that, you know, when – Burroughs was visiting Dearborn, Ford showed him the factory where he was producing the Model T and where he was beginning at that moment to develop the moving assembly line. And at that point, it was, it was just the Magneto that was being manufactured in this, in this new way. Um, and it had cut the production time of the Magneto from 20 minutes down to five minutes. So they're just, you know, churning these things out. And Burroughs was actually fascinated by that. So he wants, you know, to show Ford something from his life that's commensurate. So they go up to see what I think of as the foundries of American literature and philosophy. They go to Concord and look at the house where Ralph Waldo Emerson had lived. 
uh, who is someone Burroughs actually knew in, in his younger days, and they go out to Walden Pond to see where Henry David Thoreau had conducted his, you know, experiment in, in living close to nature that is recorded in his book, Walden. And I wonder if part of all of this is, um, you know, at one point at, at the uh, the Wayside Inn in Sudbury, Massachusetts, the next town over, I wonder if that is one of the reasons that Ford was thinking about building something like Greenfield Village in that area. Uh, yeah, well, it's really interesting. I mean, I think uh, all of these trips do kind of feed into Greenfield Village. I, I don't really talk about this in the book. But I think that, um, first of all, it, these trips fueled Ford's nostalgia, and that plays into the, what eventually becomes Greenfield Village. Um, but it also, uh, I think, took, uh, took him out into the world to see how much things were changing and, and how, in fact, his automobile was changing things. So, I mean, you may know that the I think the first project that really launches what would become Greenfield Village is Ford's effort um, around the same time he met Burroughs to save the farmhouse he grew up in. Uh, this is a farmhouse in Dearborn. And at least one biographer says that that house was going to be knocked down by the town of Dearborn to widen the road because automobile traffic had increased so much in the time since Ford had lived there. So it's Ford's own sort of development of the Model T that allowed automobiles to proliferate so much that leads, you know, to this threat to his childhood home. So Ford bought it, uh, had it moved, and begins this reconstruction project that really went on for years because he, he was never satisfied with the uh, the accuracy of the reconstruction. So what, once the house was reconstructed, he wanted all the furniture to be the same, and then he wanted the exact color of carpet on the stairs so you know he has agents going out and trying to collect all these material pieces of material culture that had been in his childhood home and you know then that just sort of snowballs so that we find him getting other significant buildings together and and creating what we now now know as greenfield village and you know we've talked about henry henry ford and this actually makes me feel a little bit better about Henry Ford, because in some lights, Henry Ford wasn't the nicest person in the world, um, if you look at a little bit of the history. But um, Thomas Edison's kind of, is he a little bit of a wild card in this group? <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he definitely had um, a, a, a sort of unpredictable, let's say, effect on the trips. Uh, I should say, Edison and Ford had known each other since the 1890s. Ford actually worked for a while at the Detroit um, Edison Illuminating Company. And he, he seems to have taken that job at a time when he was working on his own to develop his first internal combustion engine. And he realized when he tested it, he took this thing into his kitchen and clamped it to the kitchen sink and ran a, a wire up to the kitchen light fixture because, you know, he needed something to power the spark to get the uh, combustion going. And that engine actually did work. It started up and filled the kitchen with smoke and, you know, ran for a few minutes. But he realized he needed to know more about electricity uh, to really develop this engine. So he quit his job in Dearborn, where he was working as a machinist, and took a job uh, at the Detroit uh, Edison Illuminating Company. 
And even though he didn't know anything about electricity, he knew so much about all of the machinery that was used to, to produce it, like uh, steam engines were, genera- were turning the turbines that generated the power. So Ford very quickly rose to be chief engineer at that particular plant. So in 1896, when there was a conference of uh, Edison illuminating uh, employees, it was Ford who was chosen to travel to New York uh, to take part in that conference. And at the conference, someone must have said, you know, this this young man is building an internal combustion uh, vehicle, is trying to develop one. And Edison wanted to hear this. So as you may know, Edison was quite deaf. So the whole room had to move around to make space for Ford to sit next to Edison so he could kind of shout his plans in Edison's ear. And um, Edison, you know, you would think might be leaning toward uh, an electric vehicle. And I think he did think that in the long run that that might be a better way to go. But he knew that battery technology wasn't really there yet. So he really took to Ford's idea and he encouraged him. And, you know, they, they became friends, uh, but then became even closer friends when, when Burroughs comes into the mix and they start, start these trips. Now, between the time frame here, you know, we're right around, I think you mentioned 1914, 15 up to 1918. Um, in, my, in my poor review of history i believe that was world war one wasn't it uh yeah so the u.s doesn't enter the war until 1917 but it gets started in europe in 1914 and and that plays a role here because although you know much of this book is about how well these these people who might seem so different and who in fact had quite distinct personalities uh much of it is about how well they get along and how important these friendships are to them but the war was something that they really disagreed about. Uh, Henry Ford, as you may know, was was uh, very dedicated to the idea of, of pacifism. And in 1915, he sort of launched this whole campaign against what, what was then called preparedness, which was the idea that the United States needed to start building up its armed forces and stockpiling arms because that might prevent the war from spreading to to the U.S., or if it did spread, it might you know give us an advantage. And Ford believed that that was just going to more certainly lead to war. Uh, so he, he takes out ads in newspapers all over the country, and he starts saying that he'll give a million dollars or $10 million of his own money to, to bring about peace. And he eventually actually charters uh, this steamship, a, a Scandinavian-American line ship called the Oscar II, and he leads a peace delegation to Europe, uh, thinking that he's, you know, somehow going to tinker his way to peace as he had tinkered the Model T into existence. But that didn't work, and it was something that Ford and I mean that Edison and Burroughs really broke with Ford on. He invited both of them on this voyage, and they both turned him down. Uh, Burroughs because he felt that. Um, Stopping the war too early would not bring about a lasting peace because, you know, you had to, as he put it, excise German militarism before you could have peace. And Edison, by this point, is already beginning to work with the Navy to develop new technology that could help the fleet in in a coming war. And one reporter, so both of them went to the uh, to the ship to see Ford off, and one reporter claims that, that Ford offered... Uh, Edison a million dollars to go with him, and that 
uh, Edison just sort of played up his deafness and pretended not to hear this and, and ambled off the, the ship before he got trapped on it. I think that happened in recent history somewhere too, but that, that was something else. Uh, it it sounded it sounded, <laughs> um, it, you know, the, the the book itself sounds fascinating. It sounds like it sounds like a lot of really interesting, almost sort of short stories within the bigger story here about the the adventures and you know how how they like you like you say three completely different people how they got together and really looked at this time and when you kind of look back at this time in history uh really really sort of interesting and i think as much as it's history and you know things are different i mean you you mentioned that you know the electric car and now we're seeing you know cleaner quieter electric vehicles you know, it's times have changed, but maybe they're changing and you know changing again. And uh, you know, maybe nature isn't isn't as disturbed by electric vehicles. Who knows? Who knows what that what that real answer is? But the idea that we can look at your book and kind of travel in time and sort of get inside these the the heads of these three men, I think, is really pretty interesting. Yeah, and just to pick up the thread there about electric vehicles, it's really interesting to learn that Clara Ford, Henry Ford's wife, uh, herself drove an electric car. And, uh, you know, Henry wanted her to drive a Model T. I mean, it would it would make sense and be a good sort of public relations uh, move for her to drive a Model T, but she didn't like the trouble of starting a, a, an internal combustion engine, and she wanted something she could just sort of get in and go, you know, wherever she was going without having to think about it. And so she had a small electric car, which apparently was very popular among women of her sort of social class, you know, that, that many of them had the same kind of kind of vehicle. And it's now taking, you know, taking us all these years to get back to that idea that maybe a small electric vehicle could be the way to go. Well, well time, time will tell. The next history book will tell us that. So tell us where we can find your book, The American Journey, and, and uh, where, where can we find it? Uh, is it, in, is it uh, on Amazon and other places? Is it available in hardcover, softcover, electronics? How, how do we get it? Yeah. Uh, right now, the hardback has just come out, and it should be in, in any, book, any place you buy books. Uh, it's certainly on Amazon. Uh, there's uh, an ebook which is available in all of those spots. That's also available for the Kindle, so that's on Amazon. Um, and there's an audiobook coming. I, I actually just heard a sample of the narrator that's uh, expected to, to read that for the audiobook, and he sounded great, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself. There you go. So, uh, so the, the the title again of the book is is the American Journey on the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and John Burroughs. And uh, Wes, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your day on this uh, Father's Day Sunday. Oh, thank you very much. It was really good to talk talk to you. All right, take care. Thank you, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too. Thanks very much. We need to take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is a Car Doctor program. And when we come back, we might be talking to our friend Ted Ryan, a automotive historian for Ford. Uh, maybe we'll even talk to him about the American journey. Until then, stay tuned. 
My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. The West Bridgewater Gazebo Concert Series will be held on Tuesdays this summer, beginning on June 27th. Each Tuesday will feature a different performer and food truck. Come for dinner, stay for the entertainment, bring a lawn chair or a blanket. There will be five concerts at the Town Gazebo and three children's fun nights at Friendship Park. Most events begin at 6 p.m., however, times may vary slightly depending on the performer and location. Keep Tuesdays on your calendar for the West Bridgewater Summer Concerts and Activities. I'm Ashley Jordan. Tune in to Twilight Showcase Radio, hosted by Sandy Stride and Keith James on 95.9 WATD and 95.9 WATD.com. Search for Twilight Showcase Radio on Facebook and visit twilightshowcase.org. Twilight Showcase, tomorrow night from 7 to 9 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD. Uh, well, it's a anniversary of sorts or a birthday of sorts. Ford is turned 120. And with us is Ted Ryan, Ford historian who's not 120. Ted, good morning. <laughs> no, I'm almost half of that. So <laughs> I'm pushing 60. So, but thanks for having me on today. Uh, well, 120th birthday is a big one. Yeah, I, in fact, we just had uh, author Wes Davis on with us, who just wrote a book called The American Journey on the Road with Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, and John Burroughs, and gave us a little bit of uh, uh, Ford history from the turn of the last century, which was sort of interesting. But, um, you know, the idea that Ford is 120 years old, uh, pretty significant in the when you when you kind of look over history of the car companies that have kind of come and gone over these past hundred or so years. It is in 1903 when we were founded on June 16th when the incorporation documents were done. There were more than a thousand car companies across America. Essentially, any uh, bicycle shop thought they could add another set of wheels and an engine and, and create a car. So the competition was fierce and the. Only a few survived, and Ford did because of the ingenuity of Henry Ford and his crack uh, design staff, and then eventually the Model T that, that changed America forever. That, that's that's right, and we just learned that uh, you know the, uh, naturalist John Burroughs, who uh, wasn't all that wild about the Model T, uh, Henry Ford sent him a Model T and sort of sent him on the road to go go see the go see nature in a Model T and and. Uh, really got to expand, uh, like like most people of the time, got to expand their kind of universe a little bit and get a little bit further because I, I, I kind of joked about, you know, if you ask people in the early 1900s what they were looking for, they were looking for faster horses. They weren't necessarily looking for, uh, for a car at the time. Uh, that is 100% correct. And if you think about it, the uh, vagabonds, as those gentlemen were called, 
really expanded the way that people thought of America itself. Uh, and put yourself back at that time as well, where you've got Teddy Roosevelt, the Rough Riders, the Yellowstone, all the discoveries of the natural wonder of America. And the, the Rough Riders, uh, or the, the Vagabond driver, called it to mind and, and uh, uh, quite has shown a spotlight on, on America and, and the wilderness. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with with Ford's 120th anniversary, did I see a new two-door Mach-E? <laughs> you did not see a two-door Mach-E. Uh, we did actually do a special vehicle for this 120th. Uh, we did a couple of fun things. Uh, I, I'll talk about them later, but the Spotify playlist and the, the, the ad where we turn out the candles with a couple of our vehicles, but uh, no... No specialty vehicle for this year, but we're already planning a 125th anniversary, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we can come up with in five years. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, you know what happened with this uh, 120th anniversary. You, you, me- you mentioned a Spotify list. What's that all about? That that's a fun one, uh, John. I did it uh, with the help of my wife actually, and we created this playlist of 121 songs that put one to grow on. Uh, for the birthday, and it's not just the usuals. Yes, you have Mustang Sally on it, but you also have some interesting songs about the Ford Probe and the uh, Transit and the Econoline and, and a lot of our different products. Uh, my favorite, one of my favorites, is everybody mishears the lyric of Springsteen's "Blinded by the Light." He's actually singing uh, "Cut Loose Like a Deuce," another runner in the night, and that's uh, referring to the Deuce Coupe, the famous '32 Ford V8. So we had a lot of fun with this playlist. You'll get a wide variety of music, uh, and you know it, it's just it's fun. Uh, I'm actually on the road right now to Cashers, North Carolina, and I've uh, got seven and a half hours to go, and that's just about how long this playlist is going to last. There you, there you go. Um, you know, somebody just sent me. Uh, I just uh, did a fairly long road trip, and someone just sent me a little picture that said, "Mark me safe from a long road trip with my wife." So, um, <laughs> uh, but the, but the you know the other the other thing that we know you for is your uh, the archives of all the ads and brochures that we have seen over Ford's history. Can you remind us yes. about that? I will, and thanks for bringing that up. The Ford Heritage Vault is that website. It's FordHeritageVault.com, and we've spoken in the past. We've got about uh, 12,000 brochures and pictures of Ford products between 1903 and 2003, uh, including our products from England and Australia and Germany and Mexico. Uh, And what we did for the 120th is we added a different category. So now we have place photos so that you can get pictures of Willow Run and the Rouge and Highland Park and the Rotunda and uh, the Ford plants in England and Germany. Uh, my goal is that beginning uh, with the 16th, when we launched this, that eventually we're going to get every city that had a major Ford plant and get representation in the vault. So, uh, And the numbers are staggering of, of the people going into the vault. We've now had uh, people visit from 185 countries around the world. They've downloaded almost 3 million assets from the vault for free, by the way, for free. And they've conducted almost 12 million searches. So uh, we built it, and the fans are coming, and now they can get location photography. And that's just the beginning of what we're going to do this year. For, for this 120th year, we're going to have a couple different announcements uh, over the course of this year of new content going in the vault. 
Yeah, it, it is it is fascinating. And the idea that, you know, people looked long and hard for this stuff previously and the idea that it's so easy to find now, uh, whether you're an enthusiast or a historian or you're just, you know, it, it is it is the biggest rabbit hole I've ever fallen down in my life. <laughs> That's the Top Gear review and Top Gear, the, the British uh, uh, auto magazine, when they reviewed the site, said the only problem with the vaults is you'll find that three hours have gone by. It's a huge time suck. And uh, and it is, and that's what we wanted. We wanted to have information and photos available for free that people couldn't get anywhere else and put it all in one place. And I think we've done it, and the user stats are... Uh, last month alone, 1.7 million searches took place in the vault. That's just staggering numbers. No, we, we never in our wildest dreams expected that type of... of uh, activity uh, but i can't say i'm that surprised there's a lot of cool mustang photos in there 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 is and the idea that you can look at some of some of these vehicles and look at some of the advertising and the idea that you know how advertising played out back in you know 40 50 60 years ago compared to today i think is just fascinating as it is and it it just it just again makes it makes it really really interesting when you're looking at this so we have the uh we have the 120th uh anniversary spotify list uh what uh, you know you know what else what else are we seeing for ford's 120th i know you can't talk about future products and i kind of teased a two-door marquee but um you know you know the, the idea that you know we've seen you know we brought the maverick name back and you know ford can't build them fast enough it seems like and you know there's really some a lot of excitement coming from ford right now there is a lot of excitement. I would keep your eyes on the EV space to see what uh, internally. I can't speak about future product. I would just speak generally. They're talking about the second-generation electric vehicles and how they're really going to, you know, it's just like the iPhone. The first iPhone was pretty cool. The second one was better. And as each different version of it came out, it improved in its capabilities. I think you're going to see the same thing with EVs on range and performance and the, the driving experience. I had a team in the other day. I can't talk about this. Uh, they were in the archives, and they were the human-machine interface team. Imagine that. Imagine 50 years ago, Elia Coca having a human-machine interface. But it's true. And, and the way that we interact with our cars and all the different screens, and we absorb information. And the thing I pulled out for them was actually one of the print ads when Ford built Mission Control and um, at the Johnson Space Center. That was a Ford invention, that, that huge map and the digital analog uh, feedback. Uh, IBM was actually our subcontractor. So I pulled out all these maps, and, and they were like, this is perfect. We can reimagine now the way that we experience our cars. So the, in the EV space, I think you're going to see huge changes to come. Yeah, and it is interesting how, like, during the height of the pandemic, how Ford engineers got together and built ventilators you know based on stuff that you use in cars we did we actually had the first ventilator built uh they called it VIN number one and it was the uh, uh model j uh, <laughs> trivia for your portafiles out there is we had never had a vehicle that was a model j uh so they called the ventilator model j and that's in the archives and they did it out of out of pumps that we used to, to circulate air in a seat and uh different window casing it was it was fantastic the crazy smart engineers we have at ford 
Yeah, and and the idea that you know all of that was happening, and you know as we're kind of you know looking at time now, we're starting to see inventory start to come up a little bit. We're starting to maybe shake off the semiconductor shortage a little bit, uh, and we're and I th- I think we're seeing more and more newer vehicles starting to hit the road uh, from not just Ford, from everybody, which is which is good all the way around. That is good. The, the fresher the automotive fleet is in, in its entirety is, is, is good for the industry. And Ford has the precious fleet. We just revitalized all the different vehicles. We were fortunate to see, and it's not for sale or, or uh, destined for sale in the U.S., but we had the all-new Battery Explorer and headquarters a couple of weeks ago, the one that's being built and sold in Europe. And, oh, it's a spectacular-looking vehicle. A completely different way of imagining uh, what an EV can be and uh, what a crossover can be. So uh, keep your eyes in that space. It's going to be amazing. The one last 120 thing to bring up real quick is uh, go to at Ford on one of our social channels on Instagram or Facebook or uh, Twitter. And Widen and Kennedy pulled together a really clever ad using a Bronco and a Lightning to blow out candles in a way that I think your your, uh, listeners will find pretty interesting. That that's that sounds the idea the idea of a lightning blowing out candle sounds kind of hysterical. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. So, yeah, it really sounds interesting. You know, and and all of this. If people want to find more information about Ford's 120th anniversary, like you said, go to any of the social channels. But is there uh, is there a little bit more on Ford's website as well? Only a little bit, but Ford.com, and it will have a, a trailer to the the Widen and Kennedy team. When they pulled together that ad, we provided them so much amazing footage and photos, and they have created a slide carousel that will take you through a, a quick walk through some of the highlights of the 120 years. Yeah, it, I think I think we'll really interesting. Yeah, I think really interesting stuff. And again, you know, if if people haven't done it, they need to go to the Heritage Vault and check check it out. There is so much good stuff, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's amazing how you and your team put all of this together. It it is it is really it is really interesting stuff. It's a labor of love, and I've got a team of six, and uh, to say you know, but it's like kids in the candy store. We're getting to show off our content, so we're. We're arguing constantly over who gets to put what in the vault and what we're going to highlight. And uh, keep your eyes peeled in August. I think you'll get a pleasant surprise for the next update in August. Uh, My goal is to break the Internet again. Well, you did it once, so I think you'll probably do it again. And before I let you go, should, should I ask what kind of car you're driving on your trip here? I am in an Explorer ST, and it's uh, it's great, except for the idiots in the left-hand lane driving 55 in the 70 zone. Well, other than that, life is spectacular. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, Ted, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your out of your trip and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me on again. I uh, enjoy uh, joining your show. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Ted. Take care and happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. Same to you. All right. Bye bye. Ted Ryan, Ford historian, he's been he's been with us before in the past. Always always good to talk about. I I was just looking at the latest issue of Consumer Reports, and you know Consumer we've we've had the folks on from Consumer Reports a lot over the time, and uh, you know they they actually put together kind of an interesting uh, summary of sorts. I guess it it's like. Uh, you know, this is a popular vehicle. Buy this and don't buy this sort of thing. So, um, 
So I I thought I thought I'd just go over some of them here uh, before we go into the mailbag. And um, Jesse, do we we still have Robert on the phone, or did he drop off? We do. Well, let's go to Robert first. He's been very patient. Robert, good morning. Good morning, John. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Yeah, my uh, schedule right now. I can talk to you for the next three months. Uh, what I wanted to get is your opinion on a break-in period for the two-liter EcoBoost in a Maverick that I happen to just taken delivery on. You think a thousand miles is sufficient? I think I think today's cars almost don't need anything. But if it was my car. I wouldn't beat the crap out of it for the first thousand miles. I'd just yeah. drive it. You know, it's kind of funny. I just answered this question in one of the columns I wrote, and you know, there was there was always kind of two trains of thought on this. One was that um, you should drive it nice and easy for a thousand miles, vary the speed, don't use the cruise control. You know, don't stick it 60 miles an hour. You know, just, uh, you know, kind of vary down. your speed up and down a little yeah. bit. It lets the rings all break in. And then the other the other school of thought on it is drive it like you stole it and, you know, beat the daylights out of it, and it, it breaks in better. I will admit I'm kind of, you know, more on the other side for the first 1,000 miles. And it used to be there was a time that, the first thousand after the first thousand miles, you would bring it in for an oil change because right. there was enough junk in the engine that you know machining parts and stuff in the engine that you know could cause a problem. Today we don't really see that, so I don't know that it's it's as necessary. I mean the the press cars that I drive from time to time. You know, do they get really any break-in miles? Not usually. You know, some of them are used in events for, you know, the uh, uh, short and long lead events where they're at either tracks or they're at events, you know, drive events. And they don't get, you know, they start off with, you know, 12 miles on them, and that's about all the miles they have. And people drive them pretty aggressively, and they hold up pretty well. But I think if it was me and I just bought a new Ford Maverick, I would drive it nice and easy for the first you know first thousand miles or so and i would you know depending on my own driving i i might move the oil change up just a little bit um but not you know i wouldn't worry about changing oil at a thousand miles or anything i would just yeah yeah i would just uh i would just uh kind of take it easy for the first thousand miles and then after that yeah, I might do 3,000 the first time. Although my last three or four cars, I went 5,000. You know, never been an issue. And I wasn't yep. even breaking them in for some reason. I just want to, I kept the RPM no more than four grand and not very often. So I've been running 1,535. Mm. And I haven't gone with speed control. I haven't used the sport mode or the tow haul mode. I've been trying to, you know, it's it's tough on me because, I mean, it does 6,500 RPM. And yeah. I'll usually be in the sport mode and, you know, seeing how quick it is but i wanted to make it last mm. now and uh, now how do you like the, how do you like the truck so far i do I, I mean coming from the ram to this it's quite a transition i mean you know it's there's no rumble that deep purr yeah and uh, i can't downshift this one the other one i had sort of paddles like a downshift yeah. this one i can't but other than that everything is it's got so much in it that the other one didn't you know all the different it was a lariat and it's got a luxury package and tow package and all that stuff. But yeah, so far, it's, I've been enjoying it. I just yeah. uh, have to kind of get used to it. And it's my first four-cylinder vehicle ever. I've always had eight cylinders, big, small block, and this is definitely a transition for me. 
Well, and it's it's different, and also, you know, besides the idea that, like you said, you're used to a big V8 with plenty of torque. Uh, the engine, and this is a pretty torquey little engine, though. It is. Oh yeah, I already, yep. even at the lower RPM, yeah, it impressed my son a lot. It, you know, it will put you back in the seat. Yep. So I can only imagine when I'm in the sport mode and uh, you know you get up to 6,500 RPM. Yeah, it should be impressive, at least in the short term. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the idea that also, you know, did, you know, the idea of I th- I think there's a whole market for compact trucks, and and Ram is supposed to be coming out with a, a smaller yep. truck, um, but the idea that these small trucks, most people don't need full size trucks, um, you know, unless you're going to tow a trail routinely or you do carry around a lot of stuff. But I've you know over the past year i guess since the mavericks come out i bumped into some people that have had them uh an electrician that i bumped into an hvac guy i bumped into and i said how how's this working out for you he said you know it's it's you know the big stuff that we need we have delivered we don't put really a lot of weight in trucks anymore because we end up getting whatever it is delivered to the job site that we need it and the idea that we can use this when we have to uh, it, it works out. It works out great. And the idea that we can, you know, if we leave the job site and we got to go run to, you know, run to the uh, a warehouse to go pick something up, or run to, uh, you know, whether it's a you know plumbing, electrical, HVAC supply, uh, you know, the idea of making it easier to park just is a whole lot better for for people too. So yeah, I've got more room in the garage now. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You can you can you can slide a motorcycle in next to it or something. Nah, I'm too old for yeah. that. that <laughs> hey, Robert, always a pleasure talking to you. Same here, man. I'll keep All right. in touch. All right, Bye-bye. take care. Bye bye. If you want to join us, our phone number is seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred. So what's it? So Consumer Reports in their road report says uh, the popular choice of small cars is the Hyundai Elantra. Uh, but it says the better choice is a Toyota Corolla Hybrid. It says the Elantra with sleek styling, impressive in- infotainment, a roomy interior, good fuel economy is, is uh, easy to see why the Elantra is popular. It even has a good road test score. The Achilles heel uh, here is f- uh, the regular Elantra's reliability. It's got a spotty track record, which should give buyers pause. The Elantra Hybrid is a little bit better. Uh, the Corolla Hybrid, it says updated for 2023. The Corolla Hybrid earned a place among our top picks. Stellar reliability, standard advanced safety features, outstanding fuel economy are among the strengths. Uh, so they they just liked it a little bit better. In the small SUV category, which is such a popular category, the popular choice is the Toyota RAV4, absolutely. Uh, the RAV4 is one of the most popular vehicles on the market. In the red-hot small SUV segment, it draws buyers um, by being reliable and fuel efficient, but in the recent move to lower, uh, to a lower, wider appearance has compromised some interior space. Plus, it's got a bland cabin, according to this, and a little bit of a droning engine noise, uh, ride comfort that trails in the competition. Uh, they say, Consumer Reports says, go get a Forester. Now, these are pretty similarly priced vehicles. In fact, the Forester is kind of starts cheaper and ends a little bit cheaper. Uh, Subaru has nailed the ideal small SUV configuration with uh, compact exterior dimensions, tall roof, surprisingly roomy interior, throw in a fuel-efficient four-cylinder engine, uh, essential safety features, standard all-wheel drive. Uh, it outclaws the rivals. 
got an email from someone this week or last week uh, where they had, and I think I might have mentioned it last week, where they had a windshield replaced in a Subaru. And they said since then, their backup alarm is not working. They said, you know, and they don't, you know, they were confused by it. So they brought it back to uh, the glass company where they had it replaced, and they checked the calibration of the eyesight system and said, everything's good. There's no problem here. So they ended up bringing it to the Subaru dealer. And to his embarrassment, apparently this thing's never had a backup alarm, never had a backup sensor or a backup camera. It was a 2015, and it was just prior to putting a camera in. So this is a car that they don't drive all the time, apparently. And their other car had a backup camera and cross-traffic alert and all this other stuff, and this one didn't. And they were sort of shocked by the fact that, oops, it never really had it. Uh, we'll do we'll do a couple more of these uh, comparisons here. Uh, mid-size pickup truck category, Toyota Tacoma versus Ridgeline. Um, the Tacoma is the popular choice. The Ridgeline, they say, is the better choice. The Tacoma outsells the Ridgeline 6 to 1, but it shouldn't. The Ridgeline feels like driving a well-mannered SUV with a refined engine, smooth ride, decent handling. The quiet cabin is nicely finished and comfortable front and rear. The innovative uh, pickup truck bed has under-floor storage, a tailgate that falls down or swings open. This is all the truck many weekend warriors need. Absolutely agree with that. The thing that makes me not like the Ridgeline is it can get pretty expensive. It starts at about 38000 and goes up to about 50000 and get pretty expensive. In the um, EV grouping here, it says uh, Volkswagen ID4 versus the Kia EV6. It says the ID4 is the popular choice. Hmm. The ID4 kicked off a wave of electric vehicles for Volkswagen. I I think I've seen two or three of these. I haven't seen many at all. Uh, but its touchscreen infotainment system responds slowly. Many common tasks require multiple steps, like many German cars or German-based cars. The EV6 is, and I have to agree, is one of the best electric vehicles um, that I've ever been in. It's just a really good, really good vehicle, and I think it does a really good job. Um, they they do they do really well in that. So. Uh, some of the some of the uh, things that uh, I think came in the news this week, I think that's sort of interesting is um, I think we talked about it a little bit last week where uh, Tesla is has made some agreements with GM and now Ford to allow electric vehicle charging. It's going to be kind of interesting though because. Um, the Tesla charging stations have relatively short cables because they meant to back up to the charging station where a lot of the other cars have um, the charge port sort of in the front, the back of the front fender. Uh, might make charging a little bit awkward. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes. And apparently, uh, Elon Musk has gone to Toyota and said, you know, would like to, you know, he'd like to do the same thing. Uh, somebody wrote into me and said the dealer advises servicing the brake fluid, transmission fluid, and differential fluid. The car is almost five years old with 46,000 miles on it. My car has a maintenance minder, which I assume is probably a Honda, because they're, they're one of the biggest ones with that, that I thought was supposed to keep track of those things. Uh, they are saying every three years for brakes and three years or 30,000 miles for the transmission differential fluids. Does this need to be done? Is it dealer fluff or something else? Well, 
though it can't hurt to change all the fluids, I'd follow the electronic uh, maintenance reminder. These systems were designed to extend the life of the vehicle without over or under maintaining the vehicle. Uh, many vehicles have these systems today. And it looks at a variety of things. It uses a lot of tricky algorithms. I didn't realize we need to take another break. we got a couple bills we need to pay. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. When we come back, we'll talk a little about, about a Honda CRV that seems to be leaking water everywhere. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Plan a getaway and enjoy a long weekend exploring Plymouth. Go outside and whale watch, hike, walk along the ocean, and dine outdoors. At night, enjoy live music, theater, art shows, and ice cream under the stars. Begin your Friday night at the corner of Court and North from 4 to 6 and listen to live music at Sea Plymouth's Fridays on Shirley Square. Then head into a weekend of relaxed fun. Plan your Plymouth getaway on the Sea Plymouth app. Brought to you in part by visitma.com. Don't miss the Just Steph show every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. for fun guests and tips on living your best life every day. I'm bringing sexy back to Monday nights. Tomorrow night from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor on 95.9 WATD. Now back to the car doctor. Jesse actually brings sexy back to Sunday mornings on the on WATD. So well, I've been here for like twenty years, so I never really uh, left Sunday mornings. No, all right. So uh, where are we going? Did you say Tom and Pembroke? Yes. Yes. Let's go to Tom and Pembroke. Tom, good morning. Hey, John. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. I had a question about window tinting. Okay. I looked on the state website. You know, it just says thirty-five percent or whatever that whatever it is, but uh, I thought years ago it said fixed windows can be 100% or you can't put anything on the windshield. Yeah, the windshield, the way I always understood it, the windshield can only have like a um, uh, a visor. So in other words, like a six-inch band across the top of the windshield. So you can yeah. do the very, you can do the very top just like a lot of regular windshields have. And then the... Uh, it gets a little tricky because I believe it is um, SUVs that can have, like, the rear windows tinted really dark. Passenger cars, I don't think, can be tinted quite as dark, but I could be wrong on that. But, yeah, Massachusetts is is somewhat, is a little bit more liberal than some other states. Rhode Island, for instance, the last I knew with their window tinting rules um when you did the, like in Massachusetts now, they take pictures of the car and all that sort of stuff, and you actually had to put the window down halfway to prove that the windows, the driver's window was either tinted or not. But I'm pretty sure you can tint uh, rear windows, but you can't tint, you, you can only limited tint on front windows. Yeah, yeah. That, it said 35%, but it was kind of vague about uh, yeah. fixed windows and whatnot. Yeah, and... Just, and that, yeah, and that is that is one of those that's one of those things that um, 
Uh, it's funny. I, I just saw there was a car parked across the street from me last night that all the windows were tinted pretty dark, and I was wondering where the vehicle was actually from, and I never did catch the plate on it. Um, <laughs> but it was, a, and I'm wondering because it would have never passed Massachusetts. It was the 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 driver's side windows, which driver's side window was way too dark. Yeah, I've seen ones where you can't even see a shadow inside in bright sunlight. You know? Right. Right, and that's what, and and the only time you can actually get a medical clearance for that sort of stuff, um, but you know, law enforcement hates it because they want to be able to see what's you know they want to be able to see the driver of the vehicle, and so oh, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I found out the hard way years ago. I had two uh, officers on either side of me with their guns drawn. I had dark windows way back when, and I, I'll never do that again. Yeah, well, hopefully you weren't doing anything bad. No, no, I wasn't, but they were very concerned, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's yeah. just it. I mean, it's like going into a dark room and not knowing who's in there, and, you know, I, I can't say I necessarily blame them. So, you know. Yeah. Hey, hey, that music means we need to go. Uh, good talking to you. Uh, call us again anytime you want. Yeah, thank you. Bye. All right, take care. Hey, that music means we need to go. I want to wish everybody a happy Father's Day, whether you're a dad, an uncle, whatever the case is, happy Father's Day. Again, Jesse, happy Father's Day. And no, I don't want your kids. Thanks anyway. Uh, Next time. Yeah, I know. Until next time, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. And if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.